aren't you glad you're in a country church? I mean, if we were in a big city church, I couldn't have a Smithfield chicken and barbecue cup up on the wall there. You know you're in a country church when that happens. A man by the name of Ivan Boski went to prison and paid a fine of $100 million. His crime? Insider trading, investment trading. Gary Enrich, the author whom I was learning about uh, this story from, said a few years earlier, Boski was the darling of Wall Street. During that time, Boski declared at a graduation ceremony at a major university, and I quote, here's what he said, Greed is all right. I want you to know that I think greed is healthy. You can be greedy and still feel good about yourself, end quote. Newsweek later commented, and I quote, The strangest thing when we look back will not be just that Ivan Boski could say that at a business school graduation, but it was greeted with laughter and applause, end quote. Now did you catch that? He stood before a group of graduates and said, Listen, being greedy is good. Being greedy is healthy. You can be greedy and feel good about yourself. And how do they receive that? They applaud that greed. And of course we see what it led to in Ivan Boski's life as he goes to prison and pays the fine of a hundred million dollars. Now sad to say, beloved, greed has become an accepted form of sin in our world. Greed, covetousness. And sad to say, it may have even become an accepted sin inside the church. There's a story... There's a parable that Jesus told about a man who had trouble with greed. I'd ask you to find it, please. please. It's in the Gospel of Luke, the 12th chapter. And I want to look at it with you today. Luke chapter 12. Now, if you were to go back to the first part of Luke chapter 12, you'll find the Lord Jesus is teaching. And there's a man there that day who's listening, or I guess looks like he's listening to the teaching, But he wasn't concerned in the least as to what Jesus was saying. In fact, he was consumed with his own concerns. This man had a problem with an inheritance. He wanted an inheritance. And I want to show you that he rudely interrupts the Lord Jesus' teaching. Jesus is teaching along and this man just very rudely uh, places a demand upon the Lord Jesus. So find Luke 12. And go ahead and find verse 11. We'll pick up the reading there. And I want to show you this this rude uh, interruption here. We'll pick up what the Lord Jesus is saying in Luke 12, 11. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you that very hour what you ought to say. Then one from the crowd said, Teacher! Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, do you get the setting? Jesus there teaching. He's talking about these very important things. And all of a sudden, this man just, just, just says it out loud. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus responded to him in verse number 14. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? You see, Jesus' concern at this time, beloved, was not a dispute between two greedy and fighting brothers. 
As Leon Morris put it, he came, that is Jesus came to bring men to God, not property to man. But nonetheless, the master teacher, the savior, the Messiah took this interruption and he used it as an opportunity to teach truth. And he gave that man there that day a lesson that all of us, we need to learn. I want you to look carefully at what he says next in verse 15. And he said to them, notice not just the man, but to them, all of them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Last month when we were at the uh, pastor's conference there in Jacksonville, Florida, we decided to do a little exploring in between the Sunday morning service and the Sunday evening closing service. And so we, of course, had lunch and then we went out for a little drive just to see where we're going to end up. And we ended up driving over to the beach. In fact, it might be the only time I've ever been to the beach in dress slacks and a dress shirt and dress shoes. I did lose the tie, you know, I'm at the beach. But anyway, we were out on the beach and we, you know, it was very chilly that day. The wind was blowing. It was cold, but uh, the boys had fun. They were running around. Gideon was just scaring all the seagulls off and, you know, getting energy out. We've been in church all week, it seemed like. And so we're there at the beach and it's finally time to leave. And as we're leaving, I noticed a sign that's posted there. And the sign had various colored flags on it. And I looked at the sign, and, and, and one color meant low hazard, you know, as it comes to the water. Then there was median hazard, and there was even a double flag. If that was flying, that meant the water's closed to the public. In fact, the lifeguard that came along and took up the flag as we were there that day, I forget what color it was. But let me tell you about the red flag. You see, if you see a red flag there flying on the beach, that red flag means high surf and or a strong current. In other words, when you see the red flag, it means danger. It means watch out. Danger. And what we have here is the Lord Jesus is setting out a red flag. He says here, take heed. Listen to it in the Holman Christian Standard. He told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Listen to it in the NASB. Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed for not even when one has the abundance does his life consist of his possessions. In other words, danger, beware, watch out, take heed. There's a danger here. Now, beloved, don't think In other words, you're above falling in this area. He set out a red flag. The red flag is flying. You see, beloved, greed, which he addresses here, is not a laughing matter. In fact, he goes on to remind them that day and us that day that life, listen, life is not about how much stuff you have. It's not about stuff. And let's be honest for a moment. Let's be transparent for a moment. Isn't that how we measure people? We say things like, how much is he worth? How much is she worth? Oh, have you seen their house? Have you seen their car? I remember growing up, one of the members in our home church, I got to the point, I guess I could drive. And she wanted me to move her car. And she handed me a, 
a gold key. I'd never seen a gold key. And I, you know what kind of car you can drive a gold key? Man, I got in that thing, I thought, wow. You know, we're just captivated by stuff. But listen, I want you to understand something. Possessions do not make a person. They don't make the person. And so Jesus sets out this red flag, says, danger, beware, take heed, pay attention. There's a danger here in your life, in my life. And then to back it up and reinforce it, he gives them a parable. And he drives this point home. Now look back at verse 16. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be that you've provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, beloved, we learn at least three things from this parable in this passage and this man. First of all, we learn that he was a blessed man. Now, notice it says he's already rich. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. He's already rich when he gets this bumper crop. It's interesting to note as well the blessing of God on this man. It says the ground brought forth plentifully. Now, of course, he had to work the land. Or, Well, he's a rich man. He probably had his servants work the land and plant and fertilize and do all that. But God had blessed his labors. And there's this tremendous crop that comes. You men who are farmers here, you have to exercise great faith, don't you? You till the ground and you plant the seed and you fertilize and you do all those things. But there's only one that makes it grow, the Lord. And He sends the rain and He gives the crop. And that's what happened in this story here. This man, this certain rich man, God has blessed him. This man is blessed with more than enough. More than enough. But now here's the question. What do you do when you have more than enough? Well, notice what it says in verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Now I want you to notice what is not said in the parable. Did you notice there's no gratitude mentioned? Did you notice there's no thanks offered? Did you notice there's no prayer offered even? He thought within himself. He didn't go to God and say, God, thank you that you blessed me with this crop. What do you want me to do with it? Give me wisdom. No, 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 no. He consulted his favorite advisor. You know who that was? Himself. He thought within himself. He's a blessed man, but he's a selfish man. Notice again, verses 18 and 19. So he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns, build greater barns. I'll store my crops and I'll tell my soul, listen, eat, drink, be merry. You're set for many, many years. I'm going to have it made in the shade. I'm going to upgrade bigger and better barns. They're coming. Now, now notice how selfish he is. I want to go back and I want to reread those verses. And I'm going to emphasize the personal pronouns. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do 
Since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul. You see, this man had an eye problem. Did you notice that? He had an eye problem. I had a little tea party this afternoon at three. Twas very small, three guests and all, just I, myself, and me. Myself ate all the sandwiches while I drank up the tea. Twas also I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. You see, that's the kind of parties this man threw. He had an eye problem. No thought of anybody else. No mention, I don't even see him mentioning his family here, just me. No feeding the poor. Uh, no clothing the naked, no helping the needy, no caring for the sick. No, just ease and eat and drink and be merry for many years, many years. He's a blessed man. He's a selfish man. But I want you to notice thirdly, he's a foolish man. God calls him a fool. Now, wait a minute. The man in this parable is the man that we want to be like, if we're honest. This is the kind of person we envy. This is a man who is a success in the world's eyes. Daniel, in our Sunday school lesson today, in our class, was sharing about some of the richest people who've ever lived in America. And those are the type of people who say, oh, I want to be like them. I want to have what they have. We want to be like Bill Gates. We want to be like Warren Buffett. We want to be like these rich people. There is success. But I want you to notice this man's a success in man's eyes, but he's a fool in God's eyes. Did you notice that? Notice what it says there in the passage. He says in verse 20, but God said to him, fool. That's a harsh word, isn't it? The Bible says in Psalm 14, 1, the fool has said in his heart, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. This man did not verbalize the fact, but he is a practical atheist. He is a practicing atheist. He lives as if there were no God. He doesn't consult God. He doesn't thank God. God is not in his thoughts. God's not in his plans. God's not in his actions. And he thought, I've got it made for many years. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. I'm going to be merry. I'm going to have it made. And yet he forgot something very important. And that is he forgot about death. He forgot about death. God said in verse 20, this night, this night, your soul will be required of you. This night. No, I had many years. No, 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 no. Tonight is the night. That you're going to die. And he says to him what? Then who will all those things be which you provided? In other words, it's all staying behind. It's all staying behind. Probably an overused cliche, but we've heard it many times. You ever seen a U-Haul behind a hearse? I haven't. Now somebody's probably going to do it one day just so you can say, well, I've seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. But, But guess what? It's all staying behind. I read a story about a man, a very rich man one time, who died. And they buried him, if I remember correctly, in a Cadillac. Had the man sitting in the driver's seat of the Cadillac. And they had a pipe in his mouth. And I think the air conditioning was blowing as they lowered the Cadillac into the ground. And somebody standing by said, oh, what a way to go. 
Can you imagine? Beloved, that Cadillac, if that's a true story, it's rotten in the ground right now with that man in it. And that man is in one of two places in eternity, either heaven or hell. Not because he's a rich man or a poor man. Not because of what he did, but because of what Christ did for him. And if he received that gift of eternal life. If he received the Lord Jesus and the forgiveness of his sins. You see, it's all staying behind. Those things that you love, those things that you cherish, those things in your glass cases at home. Those things that you try to preserve, those things that you dust, they're all staying behind. In fact, listen to what Ecclesiastes 2.18 and 19 says. Ecclesiastes 2.18 and 19, Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise or he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled and in which I have shown myself wiser to the Son. This is also vanity. It's all staying behind. Somebody else is going to be wearing your clothes that you love so much. Somebody else will be driving your vehicle. Somebody else will be living in your home. It's all staying behind. And so notice what Jesus says in the next verse, verse 21. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. When I read that, it brings to mind something else the Lord Jesus said. Over in the Gospel of Matthew, the 6th chapter, verses 19 and 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, listen, there your heart will be also. Your heart follows your treasure. Now I want you to understand something, beloved. All of us need to get this. God blesses us so we can be a blessing to others. Now, some listening might say, well, listen, I'm not rich, so this doesn't apply to me. Greed can be evident in your life whether you are as rich as a billionaire or as poor as an orphan. That desire to have more and more and more and more. That covetousness. But let me interject something else. All of us here today are rich. You say, wait a minute. I'm not rich. No, all of us are rich. Did you know that three billion people in our world live on less? Listen, they live on less than two dollars a day. Two dollars. Three billion people live less than this. Now you and I will leave more than that for a tip this afternoon for the waiter or waitress. They live on that in one day. Did you know 1.3 billion people, they get by on less than a dollar a day. One dollar. Boys and girls, you got a dollar in your piggy bank? You got more than one dollar? You know some people, 1.3 billion, get by then less than a dollar. You know why we don't feel rich? Because we only measure by American standards. In fact, I pulled, pulled this out this week. Did you all see this uh, Chart Observer Wednesday edition? Compensation jumps for top hospital executives. Did you all see this? Carolina Healthcare. You wonder why your bill's so much? The top man 
making in salary and benefits $4,760,026. The next guy, poor fellow, makes $2 million and some. And all the way down, I don't know who the, who the worst off is, probably Russell here, he only makes a little over a million. Now we look at that and we say, oh, I, 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 they are so rich, and yes, they are rich. But the problem is, we're all rich. You know why? We look at this and say, oh, I'm poor. Open your eyes and look out on our world and realize we are some of the richest people on the face of the earth. You want to know how rich you really are? Let me give you a website. I don't do this often. But I want you to jot this address down. www.globalrichlist.com It's not a ministry website. It's not a Christian website. Global, G-L-O-B-L-A-B-A-L, richlist.com What you do is go on there. You don't have to share any personal information. You don't have to give anything. Just go on there and change it from pounds to U.S. dollars, type in whatever your salary is for the year, and push enter. And it will show you just how rich you are. Globalrichlist.com. Doesn't take any personal information. Now, I know some won't do that, but let me just, I want to give you how rich you are. If you make $12,000 a year, just that's only 1000 a month, right? I did win the general math award when I was in school. <laughs> The only award I won academically, I think, but I, the general math award, general math. And I had mixed emotions. If you don't win that, you really feel bad, but I can do two plus two. $12,000 a year. Do you realize if you make $12,000 a year, you're in the top, listen, 12.88% of the richest people in the world. You're in the top 12% of the richest people, not in... Ansonville in the world. I think a lot of us make more than twelve, don't you? Let's say you make two thousand dollars a year, twenty-four thousand. That bumps you to the top ten percent of the richest people in the world. Some of us are blessed. You make thirty-six thousand. That's three thousand dollars a month, right? You're in the top four percent of the richest people in the world. And then some, you get to 48000 That's $4,000 a month, right? You've already crossed over 0.99% of the richest people in the world. Look around. Look around today. Look around. These are some of the richest people in the world. I'm serious. We chuckle at that. It's the truth. We're some of the richest people in the world. But here's the dilemma. The same dilemma the rich man has. What do you do when you have more than enough? What do you do when you're rich? What do you do with it? I want to give you four thoughts I gleaned from Scripture. I'd ask you to write these down. Now you didn't know when you came today you are one of the richest people in the world, did you? You say, well, I'm not as rich. Now, don't, don't compare just here in the world. Four thoughts. What do you do when you have more than enough? Well, God has blessed you with more than enough. By the way, we've got to discern and divide between a want and a need. And all of us have a lot of wants. But our true needs are so few. We have more than enough. Number one, listen, you live with gratitude, not guilt. 
You live with gratitude, not guilt. Now you might be thinking, preacher, why did you bring up guilt? Well, here's why. Because when I first realized how rich I was, I'm tempted to be guilt-ridden and feel guilty. I mean, others in the world, they don't have food today. They don't have clean water to drink. They're getting by on less than a dollar a day. Many of those that were getting by on a dollar a day, most of those were women. Probably, I don't know what their situation, but they were women who were surviving on less than a dollar a day. And I look at me and I think about how much each day, if you divide your salary amongst each day, how much I am. I'm tempted to be guilty, but wait, instead of being guilty, that should cause me to be filled with gratitude. You know why? Because it's God who placed me where I am and has given me what I have. In fact, here's what he says in 1 Timothy 6.17. 1 Timothy 6.17, command those who are rich in this present age, that's us, Command those who are rich at this present age not to be haughty, not to be proud, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And so we can enjoy God's blessings. I am free to enjoy God's gifts. Not proudly, not trusting in them, but I can enjoy them humbly, and gratefully. Gratefulness. Are you grateful today? We gripe a lot, don't we? Oh, I wish I had. Oh, I wish. Man, I wish I worked for CMC in that top level. Four million dollars. I'd take Russell's job, wouldn't you? Right? That's the way we think. <laughs> Greed and covetousness. Are you grateful today that God's giving you what He's given you? I live with gratitude, not guilt. Secondly, You live with contentment, not covetousness. Contentment, not covetousness. You see, the content person, no matter their salary, no matter what they have, the content person is the truly rich person. Let me give you some scripture. 1 Timothy 6 again. 1 Timothy 6, 6 6-8. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Listen. And having food... And clothing, with these, we shall be content. Just food and clothing? Not even brand name clothing? Not even the best? Just food and clothing. Don't answer out loud. When's the last time you said these words? I have enough. I have enough. I live with contentment, not covetousness. Number three. What do you do when you have enough? More than enough. You live with generosity, not greed. You live with generosity, not greed. We mentioned a moment ago that God gives us all things richly to enjoy. But there's some verses that follow it. Because we're not only supposed to enjoy what God's given us, we're also supposed to employ it. Listen to what the scripture says. 1 Timothy 6 again. This time verses 18 and 19. Talking to the rich in the present age. Listen to what it says. Let them do good. That they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may, lo- may lay hold on eternal life. Same chapter you back up earlier in the, in the chapter. Chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verses 10 through 12. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Ivan Boski would be one of those. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue, listen, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and confess the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Generosity, not greed. The Bible says if you're greedy and you love money, you're going to end up like those who pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But instead, do good. Be willing to share. Be willing to help. Be willing to use and employ. You see, if you want to kill greed in your life, generosity kills it like nothing else. If you're greedy today, just start giving. Number four. This is a very important one. You live with limits, not luxury. You live with limits, not luxury. This is not original with me, that, that phrase. But when I was studying this past week, I said, that says it better. I was trying to figure out how to say that, but I ran across that. It says it better than I could. Limits without luxury. What do I mean? I mean this. There needs to come a time in our life where we stop looking for greater barns or greater cars or greater houses or greater trips or greater stuff where we truly can say, enough! I personally believe we should prayerfully sit down and seek the Lord's will and say, listen, this is where God wants our family to live. This is our standard of living. Because what happens? Well, Americans, we're chasing the American dream, the American nightmare. Bigger and better and greater and more and more and more. What would happen if we said, listen, this is where we're going to live. This is what God wants for our family. He's provided for us. We have what we need. We're blessed. We can enjoy these things. But as He gives us more, we're going to do what? We're going to be rich toward God, as Jesus said there in the parable. I'm going to be rich toward God. I'm going to use the more. I'm going to employ it to help others. Listen to that verse again I shared with you. 1 Timothy 6.18 Let them do good. They may be rich in good works. Ready to give. And willing to share. You see, if I'm going to obey that verse, if I'm going to be ready to give and willing to share, there must come a point where I stop spending on myself. If I keep spending it all on myself, how can I be ready to give? How can I be sharing with others? I stop buying more and more luxuries when I already have plenty of luxuries and I find that now I have extra. And with that extra, I can now do good. I can give. I can share. You know, I kind of was sharing with my wife, I think it might have been last night or this morning, when the boys and girls took up their offering last night, if you were here, they did it with exuberance. They stood on this stage and they uh, clapped and sang praises to the Lord as they took up the offering. And I said to her, you know what? I said it jokingly last night, wish that was the way we always did it. But I said, you know what? That really is the way God wants us to give. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. A joy- In other words, I'm happy. I- I'm hilariously happy to give and to share. And so I say, there's going to be a limit in my life. I'm not going any further than this, and I'm going to be ready. I know that's hard because we're Americans. Wyatt Erber spent the whole summer tracking down clues for the first Cloverleaf Bank scavenger hunt. But when the eight-year-old Missouri boy learned that he had won the $1,000 prize, 
Now imagine you're eight years old and you win a thousand dollars. Man, talk about. But it only took, it took him a split second to decide what to do with it. You know what he did with it? Erber gave the entire check to his neighbor, two-year-old Kara Kitely, in hopes that she could use the money to treat her recently diagnosed leukemia. He said, and I quote, how much chemo will a thousand dollars buy Kara? End quote. The girl's mom, Tricia Kitely, recalls. I'm completely floored by him. Herbert, the story says, Herbert told the Kiteleys that he'd entered the scavenger hunt just for Kara. I didn't know what I would do with a thousand dollars, Herbert said, but I knew what they could do. Beloved, that is living with limits, not luxury. To enter the contest, to win the money, to give it away. How do we handle more than enough? We all know now we have more than enough. We're the richest people, some of the richest people in the world. How do we handle it? Well, we live with gratitude, not guilt. We live with contentment, not covetousness. We live with generosity, not greed. And we live with limits, not luxury. And finally, I say again, command those, the scripture says, who are rich in this present age, not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us all richly to things to enjoy. Let them do good. They may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father. We are grateful today. We should be blown away today. When we step back for one second and really consider just how blessed we are. Lord, you've given us these things not only to enjoy, but to employ. You blessed us so we might bless others and be rich toward you and lay up treasure in heaven. Now, Father, I pray you would help us to seriously come before you and seek your will for what standard of living we should have. And then, Lord, say the rest of it we're going to employ to be rich toward God. I thank you we don't have to buy our way into heaven. We couldn't. Doesn't matter for rich or poor, in between. It's not riches, it's not good works. It's all grace through faith because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. I pray if anybody here today has never received Christ, may your Holy Spirit convict them this moment. May you bring them to Christ. Then I pray for believers and families. Lord, as conversations are going on, as we're talking about possessions and money and resources and things, that you would open our eyes up and help us really to grasp how blessed we are. And Lord, to employ that for your service. To feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to do all these things with the gospel. Sharing with physical needs with the truth of the gospel. Help us to be filled with gratitude today. 
Help us to realize that stuff do not make a person. Help us to reach out to the poorest, to the dirtiest, to the vilest around with the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we never be proud and haughty because of your blessings. May we be grateful and content and ready to give and willing to share for your honor and your glory. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, for your blessings. You placed us here. You gave us what we have. Lord, even as a church, we know we're accountable to you as a church at how we spend your resources here. So give us wisdom to know exactly where you want these funds to go. We ask this and pray this in that name above every name, the name of Jesus, and for his sake. Amen. Our closing song this morning is 277. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. There's a verse there that says, Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Can you say that today? Is God in control of your finances? Is God in control of your life? If you don't know Jesus today, let me invite you to meet Him. As we sing, you come down, let me know. Preacher, I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus. I'll place you with someone who knows Jesus, loves Him and loves you, and will share the gospel with you. Maybe you just want to come and pray today. Maybe God spoke to your heart about some things. Maybe a prayer of thanksgiving today. As you didn't realize that you're one of the richest people in the world, maybe you want to come and kneel and say, Father, thank you. Use me for your glory. Give me wisdom. I don't want to be like that rich fool in the parable. I want to be wise for you. 277, let's stand and sing. The altar's open, you come.